For those of us who join us for the first time, uh, Joe kicked off a series last week, uh, and the series is called In Christ I Am. And uh, he unpacked the, the purpose of it, which is to look at what is our identity as a follower of Jesus. And it's a massive topic in Scripture. So much is, is written, so much is exhorted and encouraged us to get to grips with what God has done in us through Jesus Christ. And I'm hoping if any of you join for the first time and you, you hear uh, that if you're looking in on the Christian faith, you will be amazed at what is on offer in Jesus to anybody who will come to him. And so... <laughs> Joe, who's leading this series, has only given me one week to do this. Oh, uh, I don't, I'm going to do my best today to try and unpack it. But it is the most glorious thing that we're going to be looking at today. Uh, in that, uh, I've titled it, In Christ, I Am Adopted. I have the right to be called a child of God. Isn't that incredible? And uh, I'm hoping that God gives us grace this morning to be able to come to grips with him just a little bit more than what we had in the past of the incredible privilege power and status and dignity of what it means that God has adopted us into his family. So let's read from John chapter 1 this morning, verse 12. And this is talking about Jesus uh, when John says, But to all who did receive him, and those are all who received Jesus. Notice that, but to all, all who did receive Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right, the legal right, to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God, because God willed it. So, we've been looking at this thing of what does it mean to be in Christ? And I want to maybe just take a few steps back this morning and start by saying the right place to begin is to realize the magnitude of what this salvation means in Jesus. Can I say to you this morning, it is the greatest thing that can happen to a human being. Can you, you with me? Can I say it again? It is the greatest thing that can happen to a human being is for them to come to faith in Christ. And I don't want to just uh, give the stereotypical, you know, the Sunday school, if some of you like church kids like me, you know, give your heart to Jesus. And that's kind of the summation of what our purpose and, and God's plan for salvation is. No, my friend, this gospel we hold out, the reason why Joe is so willing to give her life for these Libyans. And let me tell you, she plays down the sort of environment she was, stay, she was staying in. She believes that the purpose of God in the gospel is the most life-changing encounter on offer for any human being. She's willing to die for it because she understands something. That this thing of coming to faith in Christ is not a small matter. It is as powerful, I will put it to you as this, as the moment God looked on nothing and said, let there be light. It is that powerful moment when God looked on creation and there was nothing and that's what happens in the believer's life, is the second we come to faith in Christ, God does a supernatural work. Where there was death, he brings life, and that new life is totally new. It's not an amalgamation of the past. It's not a little mix-up from the past. And now that you're some sort of a, a, a hybrid of the previous you and the new you, know, my friend, if anyone is in Christ, he is a massive, new, entirely new creation. 
That is how miraculous and powerful. And in that moment, the person who comes to faith, it's not a little touch-up. It is being transferred. Colossians 1 verse 13 says, being transferred from a kingdom of darkness. We look at that a bit later. Being in the household of Satan. And God breaks in through grace and through the power of the Spirit and through this manifest glory of Jesus Christ's work on the cross and His resurrection. And all of that gets poured into the believer the second they come to faith in Christ. And in that moment, they get transferred from a household of wickedness into a household of grace. They get transferred from their destination hell into destination heaven. They get a new home. They get a father. They get a family. Friends, what is offered in Jesus is life-changing. Can I get an Amen. And the greatest danger to you in your Christian walk, I'll tell you what it is. It is small-mindedness. The mark of good preaching is not to make you laugh. I mean, a person can be funny. That's fine. So did the 6 p.m. laugh. The mark of good preaching is not to make you feel good. It can do that. The mark of good preaching, my friend, is to enlarge your mind so you see who you are in Jesus and what your relationship with God is now in Christ. And the danger for you and me as Christians is to live with blinkers where we are so narrow-minded when God in Scripture through these great apostles, through Jesus, through the power of the Spirit, the mark of spirit-mindedness is being able to see how things really are. Is that inside of you is the deposit of God, this Holy Spirit that is breathing new life and power and preparing you for resurrection glory, that this world is passing away and we live in the reality of the victory of Jesus. And my friend, the greatest help to you is not the removal of persecution and troubles and the aches and pains of the body. No, the greatest help to you in the greatest trials of the soul and the disappointments of this life and relational difficulties. The greatest thing that you can have is to understand who you are in Jesus. To understand that as a child, you have the resources of heaven. When you're praying, you're not sort of eking out some sort of miserly, fatherly affection where he kind of does a little bit and then waits for you pray more. Let me tell you who you have on your side. He is the God of heaven, proven in Jesus Christ, given to you. No, we must fight this need and this instinctiveness of the enemy to kind of shatter us in in our thinking. I ask you today, what is your view of your salvation? It is the mightiest thing you could have ever received. Now, I want to point it out to you. What should you be praying? Let me tell you, uh, this has really spoken to me. What does Paul pray for when he prays for his life and for the church? What should we be praying for? I'll read it to you in Ephesians 1 verse 16 to 19. This is what Paul says. It's an expose of his praying for the church. He says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his grammar. Paul is trying to expand and, and pray and preach these guys into what they are in Jesus. The thing that will start to change your life is to pray, God, show me this great salvation and what it means for me. I hope you pray for the church. Let me tell you, the thing that I ask you to pray for for SBC is that she would know the hope to which she's called and the glorious riches of inheritance in the saints and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. That is what we're engaging with. That is our purpose. That is our position. That is the glory of being a Christian. 
And Paul, and Paul can't even cope with it. He says that you might come to have the strength to know how high and how wide and how deep this incredible salvation is and to know this love, to know this love that has rescued you so, so graciously, so powerfully, so mercifully. This thing of salvation, my friend, is the greatest thing anybody can ever encounter because it gives us God. And I say to you this morning, the risk is, the reason why this is so important to know who we are in Jesus is because don't you know that famous saying, as a man thinks, so he is. Just to feminize it a bit. As a lady thinks. I'm very aware of the big discussion at the moment of, of paternalism. But anyway, you know, it's fascinating when you think about that disease anorexia. It's a disease of the mind. Yeah, a person is perfectly healthy. But when they look at themselves in the mirror, they see a distorted view of themselves. Anybody can say, you are going to fall down that drain pipe if you lose any more grams. And when they see themselves, they won't eat another pea. They won't eat another crumb because they see themselves as obese, as these monsters who are somehow going to, I don't know, burst out of the seams of their, their, their clothes. My friends, what you think you are determines how you live. Now, to be fair, on the devastation, and some of you know, you've had it in your family, maybe yourself, the devastating struggle against an eating disorder. But I want to say it's the same for those who are conceited, and we're all like that in certain areas. We have an inflated view of ourselves, and everybody else can see otherwise. <laughs> My friends, what you think you are in Jesus determines how you live. And this is what Scripture is constantly coming at. He's saying, guys, you have to know what God has objectively done in you because you don't always feel it. Not so? The mark of a mature Christian is somebody who's able to apply what has happened in their life already. Don't you think it's amazing? Paul says, work out your salvation. In other words, now that you've got it, get it going into every area of your life. This is the point, is that you have to come to a place in your life where you are so persuaded, you are so convinced that what God has said in his word is you, that it starts to shape the way you think about the purpose of your life, your time, your money, your relationships, everything. The way you see yourself, the way you see where you're going, the way you see your partnership in this church, the way you see the Holy Spirit inside of you and the gifts he's giving you. Everything in your life is caught up as to how you see yourself. I say the mark of some of us here who never get involved in ministry is because you, you're too insecure. You see yourself, you've got nothing to give. You can just come and you can sort of receive. And I want to say to you, the mark of someone released into the purposes of God is someone who understands what they have been equipped with in Christ. That what these men and women think about you, it means nothing. The glorious thing is what God says. And he says, you have my spirit inside of you. You're my daughter, you're my son, and I have qualified you for service. But you see, unless you feel the weight of that glory, you, you bring yourself into the understanding of what God has done, you will never do anything. And it's a terrible thing to see the days pass and glory come closer and the opportunities to live for Jesus squandered because we have an anorexic view of faith where we think we have got nothing when God says, you have everything. And so, my friends, when we are talking about today adoption, we are talking about the heart 
the heart of what God's love has done for us. If you ask any decent parent who's worth their weight in salt, let me tell you, there are people in the world that they are called to love, but they love their children the most. There is this relationship, this jealousy. Some of us have more kids than others. I tell you, when a parent sees their child, something goes in the heart of that parent to say, this one is mine. And we are to feel it this morning. We are to feel the glorious weight of the dignity of God's love in calling us his own. 1 John 3 verse 1 says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And he says, and that is what, is, what you are, exclamation mark. <laughs> He's going, guys, if you want to see the love of God for you, it is in this grace-giving act of saying, I am making you my own. I'm buying you with my own son's blood. I'm sealing you on my palms that I promise to be your father for eternity. No one will snatch you from your Savior's hand. I am placing my love on you as my own. And this word adoption, it is, it is the perfect word. It is a biblical term to describe what has happened to us for anybody here who's come to faith in Christ. Adoption is the legal, the act of legally placing a child with a different parent or parents with new ones. And I want to say to you this morning, you must understand the weight of the kind of people who are hearing this. They were not rich. The average church, they were slaves. Slaves. They were the bulk. Let me tell you, the gospel has thrived amongst the poor because they understand their need for God. And these men and women, they would often meet late at night because they could only get out of their master's homes so they could attend the prayer meetings. Oh, man, talk about, I don't know, managing kids and families. Imagine that, that you have to come late at night until your master's gone to bed so that you can fellowship with brothers and believers. And when Paul says, God has adopted you, it must have been the most phenomenal thing for someone like a slave. You mustn't think too much of the early church. They were the, the scum of the world. Paul says, not many of you were wise. And here they are hearing the dignity of not being called. You know what would happen in the early church times? Is fathers would sell their children into slavery. And for slaves, that's what's happened to them. They're either born a slave or they were sold as a slave to say, in Christ, I'm buying you back. The father says, I'm making you my dignified son. It's huge. And I want to point out it is a, an appropriate theological term because adoption is exactly what happened to us. Do you know that when we were born, every single one of us here, we were not born with God as our father? Can I tell you what household we were born into? It was sin and wickedness. We had a terrible dad. Any of you lived in a household where a father is dictatorial, dominating, crushing in his brutality? 
I tell you, that is the kind of, uh, he is called the father of lives. John 8 verse 44 says it so clearly. You are of your father the devil, and you will, your will is to do your father's desires. Far from us being this wonderful picture of being someone that God would love to sign up and adopt into our, his family. Let me tell you, the grace of God and the love of God is seen from what he is willing to, 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 to ransom us from. Is we were born into this household of sin who hated God, and our father was the father of lies. Oh, but in Jesus, the father makes a mighty way of saying, in that pit, I want you. We must be so careful about thinking there is anything in us that recommends ourselves to God. Every ounce of his love for us is all glory to him. The depth of his mercy, it is it is indescribable because what he did was when we had nothing to recommend us, he looked at us in that I will call it an orphanage of sin. We had no father in heaven, only the fake father of lies. He says, I want you. I want to be your father. I want to love you like my own. The mercies of God, my friend, on your life, if you have seen Christ, and the mercy on offer for anybody here who has not yet found Jesus, God is offering you his fathering today. And I want to say to you this morning, this thing of being adopted into God's family, it is all of God. It is all of God. You might say, how does that work? Well, I'll tell you, how does adoption, how do we get adopted into God's family? And I'm going to ask you to put your thinking caps on for a moment. But it starts because God willed it. Don't you see it in, in, in John, verse, uh, John chapter 1, verse uh, 12 and 13? But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God's. The reason why you, my friend, can call Christ king and the reason why today you are here being offered salvation is because God wills that you come into his kingdom. Now, why is that so significant today? It's because for the one who has come to faith in Christ, adoption is the proof that you must never feel unloved. And I say one of the most difficult things as an imperfect human being with an imperfect father who was great but not perfect is to understand the unconditional love of God. My friend, when you see what God took you out of and the muck we were in to say, I want to dignify you as my amazing son and daughter of God, it must make you feel so loved. You did not choose him, my friend. He chose you. Praise God. Because this work of salvation, it is radical. I want to unpack how this choosing happens. But I want to point out to you, the fact that God has ushered you into his family must make you dispel any doubt in his love for you because you are there, not because you wanted him, but because he wanted you. And you have to drum it into your head every single day of your life that God in his mercy has found you. 
And at the beginning, you think you chose God, and I'll explain how that works. We must choose. But let me tell you, you are enabled because God had come to you in his mercy and done something radical. What is that radical thing that God did? The Bible says our capacity to have any inclination or power to live for God is zero. In actual fact, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 to 10, is that we were living corpses, dead in our transgressions and sins. There is not a single human being living that has been born into a capacity to live and please God. He says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. This is how he describes our family tree, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Ah, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us. He loved us before our new birth. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. It is by sheer grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places. What is Paul saying? I'll explain it to you like this. Is that you were born dead to God. I was born dead to God. We have these fantasies of what we think he's like. They're wrong. We think that we somehow can create God out of what he has made. That's wrong. My friend, you don't know anything about God until he reveals himself and he does it like this. He starts to shake you. He starts to waken you up. And it might be a slow progress. It might be a moment when God starts to show you your spiritual reality. Do you know what that is? is called it is called new birth happening already he is making you alive to him go and read john chapter 3 i don't have time to talk about it when is when does new birth come regeneration starts before faith because regeneration enables faith because how can you even decide and respond and see if you're dead God comes and says, I want you. I'm coming to you. I'm putting my spirit in you. And I'm starting to show the spiritual reality of your life before me that you are destitute when you come and bring any sort of argument as to why I should receive you. And the mark of a believer, my friend, it's not just putting up your hand after service. It only works if you are responding to a spiritual reality that this is not an insurance policy. This is me that I see before God. I have no hope. And that's what it does. New life comes by the Spirit, and you can see your sin. That's the convicting power of the Spirit. Oh, but then he turns you to see Christ and the compassion and love of God. And then we must choose. That is faith. Remember, it's called a gift of faith because God has enabled all of this so far. But the difference is, is that faith for the Christian is a most logical decision because you can finally see what your state is and what God is on offering is offering you in Jesus. Until that point, you're fuzzy, you don't understand. But then you see this is just the most logical conclusion. And this gift of faith is you believe, yes, but God has empowered it through the Spirit. And in that moment when you come to faith in Jesus, that is when the adoption happens. Is when you are given a radically new status. Do you know what happens 
When Peter came to faith in Jesus, there was a legal contract signed in the blood of Christ. And God said to Peter, this is my son. And in the Roman times, legal adoption was more powerful than a natural son. Because a natural son could be thrown into slavery. Under the Roman law, if you adopted a boy, you could never sell him. If you adopted a girl, you could never sell her. They were totally and utterly bound to the one who had signed for their acceptance. And in that moment, you receive the spirit of adoption. This work of the Holy Spirit primarily is to make you feel loved by God. And that's why we pray for a greater filling of the Spirit, because the Spirit is there. But there are these wonderful moments which come through Romans 5 verse 5, Romans 8 verse 14, where the Spirit, when He's at work in power in your life, is telling you to cry, Abba, Father, this is my dad. This is the one I belong to. I love him. He loves me. We are tight. That's the mark of a spiritful person, is somebody who is so secure and filled with this wonderful sense of being accepted by God. That's why when a man who was passing, I forget his name, some of you stalwarts can tell me, on that ship when his family had lost, he, he had died, he had burnt, I don't know, there was all these awful things happened. He could write that, that, that awesome hymn saying, it is well with my soul. That's the mark of the Spirit, because it's in the hands of the Father. And my friend, you were put in Christ. That's what we're unpacking. The reason why you are called a child of God is because you put in the Son of God. You get the status of His Sonship. You get the status of His perfection and His privileges and His rights before the Father. Doesn't that make you want to pray some more? Let me tell you, when God answers you in Christ, He's answering you in the status of beloved. Wow. He's dignified you as His kingdom citizen of heaven. It's the greatest thing that can happen to a human being. So, in my final point today is I want to unpack what does it mean to live out of our identity of being adopted in Christ? Well, I think for the first time in my life, I've been able to articulate what it means to be a Christian, what it feels like. Do you know what it feels like for somebody who has grasped this joy of being called a child of God? Is our entire faith has a family feel to it. Now, I recognize some might struggle because your, your experience of family might be quite broken, but I want to say for the person who is growing in, and discovering who God is, the feeling of being a Christian in a relationship with God is one of father and child, of Jesus as brother, older brother, but as the one of this whole family feel of feeling loved and, and feeling affection and, and this warmth of a family relationship. It even plays out in the horizontal human level. You know, I was, th I was telling the 8 o'clock, I studied with Kenyans. So had, we had a lot of other um, countries study at pharmacy at, in PE. And these Kenyan ladies, they were sisters. We, we, we prayed together. We, we, um, sorry. we had wonderful times of fellowship. And I used to ask myself, these Kenyans, I feel more connected than to my South African buddies. The whole thing is we're coming to the same Father. We have the same Spirit. We have the same brother in Jesus. The whole feel of it is family. And I want to kind of push in gently this morning. What is your experience of God? Is your feel of your salvation this? 
I want to ask, if not, there's two, two things. One is you have not received God as Father. You have no spirit inside of you. His spirit saying, Abba, Father, he's mine, I'm his. Or secondly, there is still much for you to be seen or to see in God's love for you as his child, as his son and his daughter. Because the first thing of being adopted, what it creates is this, is it must, if we understand it, propel us to intimacy with God. Can I say that again? What your adoption achieves as a Christian, what your adoption achieves as a Christian is to draw you in close to him. And the way you live out your life before God is not a God that is the headmaster or even the slot machine. Those are the two extremes. If you come from an ultra-religious, heavy background, it's this God with, this, with a cane. Or if you come from a very unhelpful, uh, uh, I don't know what the right word is, is to see God as this thing of what he can do for you. My friend, the first thing is that God is inviting you to know him. Not that you have to do things for him or that he has to do things for you. Is that the very first thing he wants you to see is he's drawing you in close. Don't you think it's amazing? Jesus in Gethsemane, the only time we hear him say, Abba, Father, is when he's sweating blood. And he's going, Father, Father, if there's any cup, is there, if there's any other way, God, please, can you, Father, can you give me another? But yet not my will, your will be done. It is the perfect atmosphere of a son with a father wrestling through the ask that the father's making and saying, please, please, if there's any other way, he is getting so close to God. I ask you this morning, how much you believe in this thing of you being adopted will determine how close you will try to get to God. How much time with him matters to you? See, if he is a duty, it is about fulfilling the duty, not about the joy of being together. Do you know why God requires prayer? Have you ever thought about this? We're tackling the Sermon on the Mount. We don't need to pray. God knows everything before we even ask. Why does he ask us? Because he wants us. Because he wants us to see who we are and what we're praying. He wants us to work out. Oh, but more than that, he wants us to be with him. And for the person who understands the dignity given to them as a child of God, they know they are invited to come to his very throne room. Not even, even his very throne room, his throne, not even his very throne, his very lap. Let us approach his throne of grace with confidence that we may receive mercy and find grace help in the time of need. Let me tell you that time of needs also in the time when we need forgiveness of sin. It's not just when we are perfectly under trial with no egg on our face. Friends, today, I ask you, how close are you to God? It's for you in Christ. And even when you struggle with some sin, you know what will bring you back? It's like the prodigal son. He goes, in my father's house, he knows where home is. He knows. He knows that even in his squalor, he can come back. And he has a little speech he wants to make because he, has still not, has not, he still has not yet discovered or believes the grace of his father towards him. Oh, but he discovers it when he comes home. As he's coming, there's the father sitting and the father runs with all of his might. And he embraces the smelly, the smelly, the smelly boy. Oh, my friends. 
The invitation of adoption is to know God. Have you laid hold of it in your life? Who cares about the accolades and the wonderful things that this world applauds? Let me tell you, what God applauds is someone who stays close to him. That's why you were made. You were made to enjoy him and to glorify him forever. The second thing is that you must feel totally secure in your salvation. I want to say the atmosphere in my home is an atmosphere of grace, and I'm a fallen father. But let me tell you, my kids do not work. I feel like I'm working to keep them in the home. Yeah, I work hard. They did not do anything to get into me. They were handpicked for me. They were born. They have my blood. They have my surname. And they have my covering. And I want to say to you today, there is tension in my home often. I have imperfect kids, and I'm an imperfect father. But I want to say to you, there is none of this saying, if you don't get it right, you're out. I will say, how miserable do you want me to make your life under this roof? Because I'm not going anywhere, and nor are you. And so you're going to have to learn to adjust to me. That's parenting. Is you parent from a place of security. Not so. Please say yes. If, that is, if you are parenting any other way, we need a chat. We've got Jean here. She'll give you a good chat. Can I just say to you today, Ladies and gentlemen, we are so slow to believe the love of God for us. So quick to give grace to our own children. And let me tell you, I know right now, kids, you might be in the service and you might not think your parents are very gracious to you. Do you have food on your back? Do you have education? Do you have these things that they are sweating day and night to give you? <laughs> and let me tell you, your lot is not as bad as an orphan. May I point to you to the wonder of being able to enjoy the privilege of being a, a son or a daughter in a household of grace. And this is what John chapter 6, verse 39 says. Jesus said, And this is the will of the Father who sent me, that I shall lose none. I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. You are in the family outside of your work. You were not saved by works. You were not given that privilege by works. You are dignified by grace. You're dignified by giving the love and mercy of God. Now you might be saying, well, what does that mean? Does it mean I can live as I, as I please? Oh, well, whoever had a good father would ever be able to say that. Can I just point out, if a parent is worth their weight in salt, they are interventional in the life of their children. And they are able to apply a lot of pressure. Because a father and mother who is a decent parent, worth their weight in salt, has this understanding of what they are wanting their children to develop into and become, what is good for them, and emotionally, spiritually, physically, mentally, socially, we have an understanding of what is going to set them up for success. And when there's tension in the home, I put it out to you, it is because, in my home at least, there's a bit of rebellion against the authority of the father. I just, this is the imperfect me talking, and I'm talking from a personal space, but just think about this. Your father in heaven's perfect. And I'll say to you, the reason why God calls you to a holy life 
It's not because of threats and fear and punishment. It's because you are his son or daughter. And a good father is determined to raise that child for his good. So this is how it works. You might say, well, how does sin affect this relationship? Does it break it? No ways. Let me tell you if that wasn't, I would have been broken five or ten times before I got up in the service. My, my kids would have been out on the street a long time ago. Marina told me this morning, Sarah put up a fuss. She wouldn't brush her teeth. She wouldn't eat her breakfast. She wouldn't get changed. She didn't want to go to Sunday school. That's what she was saying this morning. She had to get this child to do what she didn't want to do. Now, is that a happy space? Who knew? I don't know what I'm going home to, I'll be honest. Is there tension? Oh, yes. Is it, is it are we good, my girl? Are we happy? Are we, uh, is the relationship good? Yeah, are we able to be glad? No. But I'll tell you what, because I love her, I'm not going to let her go. I'm going to help her see that what she is doing is not good. It's destructive. And so how much more this Father in heaven, the reason why he calls you to live a holy life, it's to please him, first of all, because if anybody's interested in getting close to him, they're going to understand that sin introduces tension. And the reason why we ask for forgiveness is not that we get our status back, but it is to bring peace back into a relationship that is strained. Forgiveness is not a legal act. It is an experience of peace. That's what it is. When, I don't say you guys ever fight. But Lizelle and John, never, ever. If they hypothetically ever did fight, do you know where forgiveness has come? Is when they sense peace between the two of them. We're good. So, I don't want to label that point. But God will deal with us because he is our father. How he deals with us is as a father, not as a judge. He is instructive, nurturing. He is patient. He is kind. He gets us to see over a period of time. He's not cantankerous and, and domineering and, and brutal. No, no, no. But he is determined. He is determined. And even for the Christian, if that's you today and you've been struggling with some sin and you are taking a long time to deal with it, my friend, and God has not let you go, it is the love of God for you. The worst thing, Hebrews 6, that can happen to a person is to not be able to renew to repentance. In other words, God has said, okay. You want to go and do what you like. I'm taking my hand off you, my loving, fathering hand, and I'm going to let you discover the hard way, the hard way of not having my loving, steering, overruling hand. I'm going to let you go the whole course, and then we'll talk again. And the last is this. I've got so much to say, but I want to end on this today. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm not sorry for the word, but is this, is that don't you know the most glorious thing is that Romans chapter 8 says, if you are sons of God, I'll read it to you. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. When I die one day, my children are going to inherit my riches. God says, don't you know that as a child of God, you stand in line to inherit his. And I want to point out to you, there's a condition around this inheritance. Why should you live a holy life? Is it that you're in and out of the kingdom? No, my friend, it is thinking about that day, like that prodigal son. What did he lose? He lost his inheritance. He squandered it. Oh, but God's saying, don't be like that. Know that when you're going to stand before me one day, I am going to reward. I'm going to lavish my riches on anyone who's willing to share in my sufferings. Those who deny themselves, those that deny the flesh, those that continue to be faithful under trial, those that are steadfast and immovable, always busy with the work of the Lord. Don't you know that there is an heir, there's an inheritance that is coming for heirs of God, and that is what you are by nature of your 
sonship and daughtership in God. I say that only so this is don't be short-minded or short-sighted around what God is, has in store for you as a son and daughter. There is still more to come. Run for it. Go for it. Give yourself to it. It will lead to the greatest sharing of glory. That's what it says. You will be glorified with Jesus for the obedience that you've shown to your Father. Great will be your inheritance. Let's run.